Welcome to the Indie Brand Builder Podcast, where successful entrepreneurs and industry experts get real about what it takes to build a seven-figure product brand with your host, Jeremy Robinson. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Indie Brand Builder, where creative entrepreneurs and product designers are building successful, purpose-driven businesses so that they can accomplish their financial dreams while making a difference in the world. Be sure to check out IndieBrandBuilder.com and subscribe for updates. So this week, I'm very grateful to have with us Julie Ellis. And Julie is a co-founder of Mabel's Labels, which is one of Canada's greatest small business success stories. Back in 2002, Julie and her three partners, Julie Cole, Cynthia Esp, and Trisha Mumby, decided they could do better than the scribbles of masking tape that were being passed off as labels to keep track of the various kids' clothing and personal items that tend to float off into the ether. Um, So after much research, they brought a brand new product to market in the form of personalized waterproof name labels and tags. And from humble beginnings in uh, one of the founder's basements, Mabel's Labels has grown into an award-winning, market-leading company loved by moms and kids alike. Now, Mabel's Labels was recently sold to paper and label giant Avery Labels, which led to Julie's exit from the business that she had founded and run for 15 years. So we're going to get into that a little bit. And uh, Julie is now entering a new phase in her career. She shares her experience and expertise with other entrepreneurs, helping them to gain clarity and accelerate their business's success. So welcome to the show, Julie. Thanks very much for having me. Great. So I, I want to hear about Mabel's Labels, but maybe first just tell us a little bit about who you are. Tell us about your background and what, what led you to pursue an entrepreneurial path. I was working as a financial planner and uh, working for one of the big banks out in the suburbs of Toronto. And I wanted to have some upward mobility in my career, but I was having my babies. I wasn't that interested in going downtown at that point in time. Uh, My husband's work schedule was very varied. He's a real estate agent, so he's in and out all the time. And I felt like I was that steady person and I worked close to home. So when we came to the idea of starting a business, I was a little bit ripe for it because I was looking for change. Um, I loved being a financial planner. I loved working with my book of clients, but I did want to to progress in my career. Mm. So I was ripe for the idea of change and um, I never thought of myself really as an entrepreneur, but my university degree was actually in dance. I left mm. that, became a financial planner and then became an entrepreneur. So it's like a really jagged path. It you know, right. wasn't like I had this clear goal in mind and set out to get there. Um, so I've always kind of followed different paths that have emerged in my life. So it was kind of an interesting time for me. So tell, tell me a little bit about that, how that path did emerge. I mean, what, so what were the original goals or the problems or the circumstances that led to the founding of Mabel's Labels? So we were all uh, friends that met at university, the four of us, and two sisters and two others who later by marriage became related to the sisters. So we had this sort of a multi-layered relationship. We were all having our babies. We were getting together for play dates and inevitably we were sharing advice about what products to buy and what, you know, how we were managing, um, you know, sleepless nights and feeding schedules and all the things that come with having small children. And so inevitably somebody would leave something at 
your house and it would be the same thing that you already owned because we were all buying the same thing and it right. would be the, who left this here and and you know and then we were sending our kids to daycare and to preschool and you know they would say label everything but they would never say how right. and we thought we, we thought we could do a better job than masking tape with Sharpie. And so we kind of set out with this idea of, you know, we could have uh, something of a little cottage industry or do something different and and get something started. Um, and we so we did. And it took us about a year, I would say, of, you know, testing and research and all of those kinds of things to figure out how we were going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then we got started. Cool. I love that it really grew out of a, a personal need or a personal problem that you all had that you were looking to solve and didn't see a suitable you know, market solution. So you just went and created one. That's, that's a classic um, sort of indie brand or indie company founder story. So cool. So you started this as a essentially a as you mentioned, like a cottage industry, and it grew into, you know, a multi-million dollar business. What do you think were some of the key factors behind the success of Mabel Labels and Mabel's Labels and what allowed you to achieve that? I think that we captured a time in our lives where we had entered the community of moms. And so we started out at you know, playgroup, the playground, the drop-in center, all the places you go when you have a baby and you talk with other parents who are doing the same thing you are. Mm. And we were very fortunate because we were also evolving and starting the business at a time that social media really began. And one of my business partners, Trish, had a vision that we should get onto Facebook, get onto Twitter, and do all of those things really in the very early days of those platforms. Yeah, there was a time when it really was you were it really was a new frontier, right? It was, and it it enabled us to take the community of moms that we were circling within in our own community online. And we built a community as a business, we built a community that wasn't really based around selling our product. It was based around moms leaning on each other and and having a place where they could meet up and talk. And so that voice, I think, had a lot to do with the brand that we were able to build because we were not just trying to sell our product. Right. Very cool. And so in terms of the business model, um, what was it about? There was some unique aspects to the business model. Could you t- could you speak a little bit about that? We always wanted to sell direct and sell online. So, you know, in 2003, when we started the business, again, it was sort of early days of e-commerce and selling things on the internet. And um, none of us, interestingly, although we started an e-commerce business, none of us had an IT background or a technology background. And so that was as we learned really over the years, that was fairly unique and we hired it, we were able to hire it, which was good for us, but it was sort of an interesting, you know, we have a a story where we basically got our first website built in exchange for buying somebody a foosball table. (laughs) And so, you know, and and we couldn't get- It was a good deal. (laughs) It was a great deal. Uh, And we couldn't get visa merchant numbers and we couldn't get, you know, all kinds of things. It was hard while you have unsigned sales drafts. I mean, things that today would just never be an issue because it's, I mean, you'd go to Shopify and start a site. It's it's right. so different now. Um, so it was sort of a unique time to come out with it and going direct to the consumer was, we felt like it was necessary because of the level of customization in the product mm-hmm. and it was the right thing to do in that sense. Right. 
What about, you know, as a business grows from being essentially a home-based business to a much larger footprint, how did your relationship to the business change and evolve over that time? Uh, We all had to evolve our roles and we would restructure every now and again. So, you know, over the course of time, I managed a good chunk of departments within the, within the company Mm -hmm. and we always ran it with the four of us at the helm. So we were, you know, each had our own set of responsibilities, which helped us, um, I think, give clarity about where our roles sat. And then we ran it really as a, as a board steering Mm -hmm. committee, kind of a, kind of a way. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting dynamic where you've got four, is it, were they essentially equal partners? Is that correct? We were, yes. Yeah. How did you manage that? I mean, that can be a, a recipe, obviously, for big successes in your case, but it can also be a recipe for disaster. What do you think made your team dynamic successful? I think we were very clear about dividing up our responsibilities for mm-hmm. day-to-day operation and what we were looking after, and that helped tremendously. Um, I think we also, because we were family, and the con- it, it's sort of a big, big family that is quite close uh, beyond just the four of us. And so I think that that dynamic and the bigger family dynamic um, really helped us to, you know, we like each other. So, and we were friends going into this, and we wanted to come out on the other side as friends. So it was important to us to run the business and communicate about the business and walk out of the front door of the business and leave the business there. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, we were, we were pretty successful at doing that. Yeah. I mean, I'm also in a sort of family based business where I work with my wife and yeah, there's got to be clear division of responsibility, as you mentioned. And also I think a commitment to not letting things fester and linger. There are going to be disagreements obviously, but it's about how you resolve those disagreements ultimately and not take them personally or carry them around endlessly. Um, Cool. So, okay. So you guys built this amazing business and then um, one day Avery came knocking or what was behind the decision to to sell the business? And this is something that you guys had spent a significant amount of time and uh, really poured yourselves into over, was it almost 15 years, right? So what, what was... What led to that decision? And plenty of people would say, hey, that's an enviable thing to do, but it can also can be bittersweet as well. So tell, tell us a little bit about that whole process. We, interestingly, so Avery did come knocking. We were not looking to sell the business at the time that they came and spoke with us. Um, but they checked a lot of boxes. As we started having conversations, you know, they wanted to keep our team in Hamilton. The business would still uh, be able to retain quite a bit of its autonomy and and the brand and the people and the things that were quite important and near and dear to our hearts. So checked a lot of boxes in that way. And while we hadn't been looking to sell the business, we knew that in order to get the business to the next level, it was going to require quite a number of changes. And one of the changes we were looking at was the feasibility of having four of us at the helm. Um, So having them come in was pretty opportune because when one thing I would say about being a partner of, you know, in a partnership with four people is that you have to do what's best for the business may not end up being best for you personally, or it might be okay for you personally. So it takes things down to, you know, what you would do if you were at the helm on your own is quite different than what you do as, as one fourth being at the helm. And so, 
that was those were the kinds of conversations that we were being faced with in terms of how are we getting to the next level and what are we doing now that's a great and point. so yeah. Yeah. And so when Avery came along, uh, we just, you know, it checked a lot of boxes for us. Um, the offer was right and the timing was right. And, you know, in hindsight, while we weren't looking for it, everything, the stars aligned. So I think, you know, and, and then, yes, I think it can be bittersweet because it is sort of that ultimate, you know, it's the unicorn we're all chasing when we start a business is Mm -hmm. to create an exit for yourself. Um, but it's the you know unexpected things and and being out on the other side is is an interesting experience so um i'm very proud of what we did and i'm very um excited to see what the brand can do now underneath a bigger umbrella um because i think it needed that in order to go to the next level right Kind of like watching your child grow up and go to university. (laughs) It's very much like that. What about the whole process of selling to a large company? Tell us a little bit about how that unfolded. It's a lot of work. I was amazed, actually. And we uh, we were on a very compressed timeline. I think we, we wound up selling the business in total from sort of the first conversation in, in a period of about five, six months. So right. it was very compressed. And because we weren't planning to sell the business, we had literally done no work to gather the kinds of documents that are required to go through a due diligence process. Um, so that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were for, have had been very, very fortunate in that we had an excellent accountant, both internal to the company and external. Um, our, both of those people were very, very good. And so we had run a pretty tight ship financially. We knew our numbers. We knew that it, the books were, you know, really clean. And so that made things, you know, gave us a good baseline. But the amount of the volume of, of data collection and uh, compiling and assembling into, you know, formats, um, we had a, you know, about a 20 page checklist of things to gather and post. And it, it, it consumed a couple of months of my life because that I took that piece of responsibility when we were um, when we were getting organized and negotiating um, to get the the data room ready and it was it was an incredible amount of work I had I had absolutely no idea now if somebody were in a business right now and looking forward to that exit or thinking about that exit what advice would you give them today whether or not that that day was you know now or several years in the future what advice would you give them about how to be best prepared or best set themselves up for that I guess if you were planning an exit you would you would look at things like you know financials have you got all your financials in order your tax returns filed you know those sort of basic financial pieces um you know, even from an employee and an HR piece, like are all your employment contracts up to date? Do you know where they all are? Mm-hmm. Do you need to scan them in? Do they need to be electron? Where do you keep them? How, you know, how hard will it be to gather them? All of those kinds of things mm-hmm. um, that even though we had done a very good job, it still required the, is this the most recent one? Did it get filed somewhere else? It's that comp- compiling and compiling. Uh, so very interesting documentation essentially is what you're all of gathering the paperwork yeah and having systems in place to to really have that there in the first place right yeah what kind of questions and challenges have you faced as sort of an entrepreneur who's essentially sold off this thing that you've created 
I would say, so when I was, when I knew that I was leaving and getting ready to leave, I had a conversation with my coach. I'd work, I've worked with a coach for quite a number of years. She knows me very well. And we were having a conversation about me leaving. And I said, you know, I think I'll take a month or two off. And, and she sort of is like, Julie, you need to take at least 90 days off. And, you know, I am a person who is, I'm in 110%. So whatever I decide that I'm going to invest in, I'm there. And so, you know, she said, you need to be in 110% to taking some time off. And so for me, that was, you know, it probably took me, so I've been off for six months now. I would say it took me 90 days to come to terms with being off, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just that. So, you know, when people be like, you you meet somebody new and they say, so what do you do? And you're like, um, um, I'm (laughs) I'm retired. Like, you know, what do you say? Um, so that was a a whole process of kind of coming to terms with, with where I was at. But I would say then in the last 60 to 90 days, I've actually, I feel settled in and I feel like I don't want to rush into anything right now. Um, I've got opportunities. I'm talking to people. They might or might not turn into anything right now, but that's all okay with me. Um, I have some luxury of choice right now to not have to rush into something. And so I'm trying to take that. Hmm. Um, I don't want to end up somewhere and then be like, wow, that was a giant mistake. With that said, somebody might have to kick me off a ledge at some point, but (laughs) (laughs) But for now I'm not rushing into anything. So I I kind of came to the idea of doing some consulting out out of all of that reflection because I I don't want to step into something at 110% and say oh that was a big mistake so I, I sort of came back to feeling like I have I think got some expertise that I've built up over the years that could be valuable to other people mm-hmm. and things that I enjoy doing other people don't and and there's always a fit when you have that tension right. and so being passionate about the idea of working with entrepreneurs that are passionate about their businesses. And I get very excited when I see people um, starting up a business. And, you know, I've been doing some mentoring with a couple of startups uh, over the last six months. And it's fun. I'm having a lot of fun. Great. And, And I can see that I can add value. Yeah, and it's a great way to really see see the broader landscape and see where you might fit in, perhaps at a hundred and ten percent level, but without uh, rushing into something as you yeah, put it. So exactly. Cool. So that that has sort of led me through you know an iterative journey of what is my message and where am I best? Where am I best? Where's my best place? And so you know. I'm primarily looking at working with entrepreneurial product-based businesses in that two to five million range who want to scale their growth. That's right. I think really where I have an opportunity to go in and make a difference for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I created a program basically that I'm calling Ignite and Scale, which helps entrepreneurs ignite their business by creating operating leverage to scale their success. Very cool. And so if someone listening were interested and and qualified, how could they get in touch with you? Where would they find you? They would find me on LinkedIn. That would be the best place right now to find me. I'm in the early stages of getting a website together. uh, But right now, the best place to find me would be on LinkedIn. And you can look me up, Julie Ellis. I'm there. And uh, yeah, I'm excited because I think there's a lot of companies that have reached this point where their growth is stuck or stagnant 
so that's one end of the spectrum. The other end is that they're growing so fast they can't keep up. Mm-hmm. And they need to operationalize. So, you know, they're scaling their top line, but they're missing opportunities to control expenses. And so they might need help to find operational efficiency. They may need to put a long-term plan in place. There can be a whole bunch of, of things there uh, that can help them. Yeah. No, I think we need to talk. So <laughs> I think this conversation may may continue, Julie. Um, wonderful. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Again, just a great example of someone who really built, built a business from scratch, from their home, and built it into a business that was acquired by you know, a, a large company. So really lived the whole the whole spectrum from startup to sale, if that's your dream, um, or if you're looking to gain better operational leverage in your business, Julie would be a great person to reach out to. Um, so yeah, just want to thank you again, Julie, for being on the show and look forward to, to speaking some more. Thank you and take care. For more insights on building a seven-figure product brand, including free downloadable training material, visit IndieBrandBuilder.com.